Success is elusive, but it doesn't have to be. This is Limitless Belief, a weekly podcast where we discover the principles of success by those who use them well. Be encouraged, be inspired, be limitless. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Limitless Belief Podcast, the show that provides insight and encouragement, ideas and inspiration for people struggling with self-limiting beliefs. Um, Our goal is to uncover the limitless power of positive mindset and limitless belief, one conversation at a time. So whether you're at home, in your car, or taking public transportation, we appreciate you spending some time with us today. I'm your host, Frederick Tobert, and today we're going to talk about conquering limiting beliefs with Katherine Burmeister. Uh, She is the founder of Burmeister Law Firm, which is based out of Roswell, Georgia, Uh, author of the forthcoming book, Rock Bottom Not Required, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo. Um, She's also a public speaker and probably most important, a lover of animals. Um, In today's episode, we're going to discuss Catherine's professional and entrepreneurial journey, how she turned her pain into purpose, uh, how she's been able to overcome adversity, mental health stigmas and courageously going against the status quo. So thank you for being on the show, Catherine. Thank you for having me, Frederick. I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I always, you know, I've been looking forward to this conversation. You know, I kind of shared that with you a little bit, Um, you know, getting to know you a little bit better, uh, learning from you, you know, some of the systems and ways that you've been able to, you know, overcome adversity in your life. Um, But before we get into any of that, right, uh, I would like to just kind of like take it back to the beginning uh, where your life journey began. And, you know, I think this is a great way for us to kind of work our way forward and, you know, just kind of add context to some of the things we'll probably touch on as we get into our conversation. Um, but you grew up in Georgia, right? I did, born and raised. I'm kind of a unicorn that way. There aren't many of us down here that are born yeah. and raised with so many yeah. transplants. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you're an only child? I am an only child. Um, yeah. So my folks have me down here. We have family close by, but my cousins were probably 10 and 12 years away from me. So it's, yeah, okay. uh, it's, I was pretty much on my own and the only grandchild for a while too. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, yeah. I shared it. I shared it with you. Know, I'm an only child as well. And I, th- I figured that would probably be a great way for us to connect, you know, um, definitely. I find only children and maybe this is just a bias. We're just kind of like some of the most generous people in the world, you know, you know, but, it's so you know. interesting because I've seen people <laughs> like different things and, you know, it's, it's just really interesting. The dynamics yeah. between them. Yeah. And you, you say you're the, uh, you were the only grandchild on both sides of the family for a while. I was well, so just, only guess, grandchild yeah. on one side period. And then I was for about 10 years on the other side. So yeah, it, yeah. yeah. a lot of family have... functions revolved around me. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. You yeah. know, I was the I was the uh, the first grandchild on both sides of the family. The only okay. child, you know, my mom, my mom raised me and the only boy really on my mom's side of the family. So it's a lot of attention that kind of comes yeah. along with that. Right. But um, it, it didn't it didn't shape me in the wrong way. So, I, you know, right. <laughs> I just kind of want to see, you know, what were some of the pros and cons for you growing up as the only child as the only child? Yeah. So and, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up because it really uh, when I wrote the book, too, it really yeah. I started there and try to look at, you know, how it shaped my personality type. Yeah. Um, so I think it was really good. I was really close with my family, especially my dad. I was definitely a daddy's girl in terms of doing projects with him. I mean, I know how to do like so many home improvement projects. It's not even funny. Um, but I think what it also did was it created a dynamic where I was very much influenced by my parents' opinion and okay. not necessarily in a bad way, but just I wanted to please them. 
And I knew they thought a lot of me and they were, you know, expecting a lot of me. Um, And even though it was never said like, you have to do this or else you're a failure. I think when you're above average as it is, which that was the way it was for me, um, Mm -hmm. your normal is already a little bit higher. So anything short of that is failing in a sense. Right. right? right. And like I said, my parents were very supportive and it never came out that way. But I think by default, it just kind of was a false dichotomy, right? If you're not meeting this level, you're failing. So I think that kind of shaped it in some way. For sure. And it's, it's those, you know, those, um, th- that idea is kind of, it's nothing that anyone else kind of uh, tells no. you. It's just something that you feel. Yeah. And I, and you know, that's one of the things I think about like those internal self, you know, those internal, internal limiting beliefs, right. Uh, the thing that no one else says, says to you, but for, for whatever reason, they're true. <laughs> yeah. And, you yeah. Know, and I, you would I, never I, say it to anybody else either. Right. I mean, you yeah, never in a million yeah. years, even your worst enemy, you would never say these things too. You would never say and it. Right. You just can't believe that you say it to yourself, but it's almost so because it's so internal and the dialogue internally, you start to believe it after a while, um, which is really a shame for so many people. That is so true. You know, it makes me think about um, I have recently, well, you know, Kobe passed away last year. Uh, yep. About a year. Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw an interview that he did and he was he was telling the guy that was interviewing him about a story where um, when he was like 11 years old, he was playing basketball in a summer camp or something like that. And he didn't score any points the whole summer, I believe. And he was just like really crushed about it, right? And his dad, you know, pulled him to the side and said, you know what, if you score 100 points or if you score zero points, I'm still going to love you. And Kobe said it was at that moment, you know, where all the shackles were removed, right? Because whatever that, that internal dialogue that was going on with him, a lot of it had to do with, you know, disappointing his pops. And right. once, his pops, once his pop said, I love you, either way it goes, he was just like, I'm so free now that I can just, you know, I can fail and it's not going to be, it's not going to be like a terrible thing. And just imagine how many of us needed, needed to have that, that conversation at the right time, you know, that, that for whatever reason, it just never happened, right? Because maybe people weren't paying attention or maybe we were just afraid to have that, that conversation. But how many of us in society today could be so much more well off if we, had someone say something like that to us at the right time, you know? So that's why I really love what you're doing with the book and everything like that, because it's never too late. And maybe they'll find that, that, that conversation, that dialogue in the book, you know? So looking forward to kind of getting into that. And it's just maybe, you know, what you were yeah. just talking about, just made me think about that, that interview I heard with Kobe. Um, but as a young woman, a uh, woman Definitely. growing up, um, when you were a kid, you know, when I, when I think about being a kid, you know, uh, there's like no such thing as can't, right? Um, it's, at, mm-hmm. it's in those moments where we're basically like, we're, our dreams are the biggest. Um, so as a young woman growing up, you know, what did you dream about becoming when you were in it, when you became an adult? Yeah. So I think right around middle school is when I started solidifying where I wanted to go and what I wanted yeah. to be. Um, yeah. I, I've always been a fighter and I don't know if yeah. it's that independent streak as an only child or also because kids are just horrible sometimes to each other and for whatever reason, right? And, you know, it just kind of made me want to fight harder to do what I wanted to do. So middle school, yeah. I, I've always been an avid reader, but we were reading um, Letter from a Birmingham Jail and okay. Kill Mocking right around that same time. Okay. And even though MLK wasn't a lawyer, the idea of standing for what's just and yeah. going against the grain just really spoke to me and in my uh, sympathy and empathy for other individuals. And then yeah. couple that with To Kill a Mockingbird, um, Obviously, that's, you know, an iconic book anyway, but again, going against the grain for what is just yeah. and that 
came together for me. So I've always been really passionate about helping other people, but then I could do it through this vehicle of being a lawyer and right, wrong, wow. or indifferent. Mm-hmm. Being a lawyer, I think people listen a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't think that should necessarily be the way it is, but it is. And yeah. so really being able to use that to help other people, it was my goal from that moment on. And so I really wow. figured out what I wanted to be and backtrack um, a very a type planner so yeah, i was able to yeah. kind of progress out what i wanted to do from there yeah that's yeah, very it's very, very mature you know <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> it's an only age. child thing right being around adults all the time but uh yeah, yeah, yeah so sure. that's where it was because i don't have any lawyers in my family no legal people at all to speak of um yeah. but literally that's when i decided it and just start on that track yeah that's some that's that's very powerful you know it just kind of shows how how much influence you know a book can have yeah. on, a, on, a, on a person's mindset, right? On their character at a very pivotal moment in your time, in your life, you know, reading these mm-hmm. books really kind of shaped you in a way that has uh, still had ramifications, moving, you know, positive ramifications, you know, now that you're an adult. Um, you know, what, what were some of those other like early influences that began to kind of shape your character and beliefs as a, as a young person, you know, outside of, let's say, like, like your parents and things of that nature, but were there any other influential people that was kind of shaping your character and your beliefs at that time? Honestly, it really was just my parents. I I admire my parents a lot. And I think also being closer to them was part of it. But um, and I speak to this in my book a little bit when I was looking about how I kind of came to be who I am. But my dad is a very committed individual. He you know, there's a right way to do things in terms of like working hard at something, you know, and just not, you know, giving it your second rate best. Um, so attention to detail, dedication to your job, things like that, having a good ethic. He really instilled that in me. Um, and then my mom is very sympathetic, um, and very good listener, very supportive. And so Mm -hmm. she really instilled that in me as well. I am like a little happy amalgamation of (laughs) the two people. So that really was influential on me because they always told me I could be what I wanted to be. They always taught me to treat people well, um, you're no better, you're no worse type thing. Um, so really it was just a great environment to grow up in that was supportive. And that, that did shape me tremendously, um, as a child growing up. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what, what started you on your path to becoming such a, uh, a lover of animals, such an advocate for animals. You know, I, I, I heard that you, uh, rescued your first animal in the sixth grade. Like, where did this come from? How did, how did all this start? I think, it, well, I was raised around animals as a child. Um, yeah. My parents always had a dog or two. And then we had like a little parakeet. And of course I had hamsters and goldfish. Yeah. So I was always <laughs> just like a lover of them. And I think it's that, um, you know, caring for something that is innocent type deal. And yeah. then I did, I rescued my first cat in elementary school. I scaled like an eight foot fence that was oh around a generator and the kitten had gone under the generator. And I remember my vice principal came out. I was like, what do you think you're doing? I was like, clearly. <laughs> I'm saving a cat, right? Like, and this is, exactly. <laughs> everybody should understand this. So, so I called my dad and he, he was working midnights for Delta and he sleeps during the day. So I woke him up and I was like, dad, there's this cat. He's like, are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> so he came, I have to give my parents a lot of credit. That's why I got a lot of animals, but um, yeah, he came yeah. and we adopted him. But yeah, I really just think that idea of, of fighting, giving a voice to the voiceless um, and that's really progressed throughout my life into the area of law that I practice. But mm. um, that idea of helping others less fortunate or in need just really stuck with me from a young age and yeah. uh, drove me to be involved with the animals a lot too. For sure. 
you know, I for some reason I was thinking about, you know, uh, I guess because it, there were so many superhero movies coming out, and it just made me think about like who are the real superheroes in our society, right? One of one of the one of the the, the types of uh, one of the industries or professions that I landed on were, was lawyers, you know, because of the oh you know, really? Because that's yeah, not because, what most people think. <laughs> really? So like, like no. Let's 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 process through it a little bit, right? Because yeah. we li- we we live in a nation of laws, right? And laws basically you know, determine what people can and cannot do, they, they, they're, they're very influential and impactful for, for in our lives. So if you understand law, then you have some form of power, right? If you can understand law and if you can, if you can utilize law in your, in your, in your, in your, for your benefit, then that's, that's very powerful. So, you know, most people don't understand the law. So we have to acquire someone who does like a lawyer. So to me, a lawyer is someone that's like a superhero because you can save someone's life, right? You know, you can yeah. you can help improve people's lives in some ways. You can get someone who was wrongly convicted, you know, out of jail, right? These are these are superpowers, and I think it's, it's you know. So that was my thought process. What do you think about that? <laughs> no, I love that yeah. idea, and quite frankly, I wish more people. You know, it's it, you say that my husband and I have joked about doing kids books, you know, about like little silly stories we've made up or whatever. And, you know, that I just came to me now, that would be a Mm. great thing to put out there because I do think so many people have this preconceived notion of lawyers, right? It's a very antiquated profession, even in 2021. Um, You know, as many women as are in law school, so many of them don't stay in the profession because of family obligations and that's their choice, completely fine. But I still think that fuels the antiquated, you know, nature of it. So I love that idea because you're absolutely right. Every practice Mm -hmm. of law influences people's lives and Mm -hmm. we have such a huge impact and I wish people recognize that more, um, lawyers as well, because it does make such a huge difference. Um, I mean, think about it, criminal defense attorneys. That's yes, you know, somebody may have committed a crime, but at the end of the day, what some of the foundational, you know, um, aspects of our country that we value is the idea of a right to trial, you know, right. being innocent until proven guilty. Like that's right. huge. That's a huge yeah. democratic ideal. For so, sure. you know, it's, that's a huge influence for myself. I'm representing individuals that have been injured and they're going against the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, that's a David and Goliath, you know, dichotomy there. Sure. So, and even in divorce cases, right? I mean, everybody's trying to walk away from it in a better situation and it's very volatile, understandably. Um, But that's why they have the lawyers also is I don't think a lot of people can sit down and have those conversations about how to flush something like that out for themselves or having your will done and your state plans, you know, so you don't Mm -hmm. have it all go to the state after you pass. Right. we do do a lot of things and um, I don't know why, maybe it's just movies and books and that idea of like the typical lawyer, quote unquote, Um, or maybe it's because we're held at this level that some people shouldn't be right in the profession Mm -hmm. In every profession, Mm -hmm. there's going to be people that put a bad name to it. Um, But I think there's so many lower jokes that people start to believe them almost in a sense. Right. So I love that idea. I love that idea because I think a lot of people out there do try to do the best they can. Um, for, sure. for their clients and that's our obligation as well and it's and it, you know it's it, it, when you think about like a great story like a comic book story it's it's a good versus evil right and the power mm-hmm. sometimes the 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 good guy and the bad guy have similar powers and i think you know people can use law for good and for bad right 
Um, you know, when I think about, like, let's say, like consumer protection laws or something like that, right? These are laws, right? The, you know, people who understood the law put these things in place, like you said, to protect the, the David from the Goliaths, right? What other right. way could someone protect themselves from a multi-billion dollar, you know, corporation if it wasn't for law? Um, yeah, you, know, you really couldn't. Um, really and couldn't. even as yeah. an example, I don't know if you followed over the past week with GameStop and the stock and mm -hmm. everything. And yeah, just yeah. the other day, Robinhood uh, stopped sale of it. Well, it turns out one of Robinhood's hedge fund, one of the two is Citron, who is heavily involved in GameStop and losing a mm -hmm. lot of money right now. Mm -hmm. So I actually mm -hmm. heard just yesterday that there's going to be a class action or mass tort lawsuit filed because you know, you can't change the rules in the middle of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, just because right. like the way it's going. But that right. idea, like how else would these people be able to go up against such a huge corporation right. um, for stopping the sale or for, you know, dictating everything with all their money? Well, this is how right. you do it is you do through it. this class action or this mass tort. Yeah. Right. So it's really, right. it is, you know, mm. and I'm glad you said that because that really does make me want to highlight that from like a child's perspective. So they, yeah. I'm always big about education, right? Like if you want to change things and perceptions, start with kids because yeah. that's where they're the most influence, you know, For sure. Um, For sure. and really yeah. give them that opportunity to see it. Yeah. That's, that's a great idea. Cause you know, the NFL, um, one of the, uh, the, one of the playoff games, they, uh, they showed it on Nickelodeon. I'm like, all, that's all that's all about I did see that. getting the next the next generation of fans right <laughs> you know what I'm saying like yep, let's broadcast this on on Nickelodeon so we can get the next generation of fans so yeah you're right you're right you got to get the kids you have to because mm -hmm. you know they're going to represent you know the leaders of tomorrow and you know these going to be people that's going to be the next lawyers and doctors and you know whatever so you got to start you know making your case now so to speak right to use kind of lawyers yeah, <laughs> kind of talk absolutely. um well, I think their kids more right because yeah. they they they're in their lives they're not an outsider I remember I was yeah. talking to my therapist actually about this she said I'm really impressed impressed with a lot of the kids that I see you yeah. know especially with all the politics that were going on talking to their parents about it and saying mm. like here's how this affects me when you say x y and z mm -hmm. and I don't I think that really can have an impact on people that might not have otherwise ever thought about it or yeah. even listen to anybody else saying something sure. contrary to their own ideals yeah yeah i love that yeah thank you thank you for having this conversation with me because i never really shared it with but it was yeah. just something I, I thought about and it's like and you know now that i'm talking to you i'm like hey, let me see what Catherine thinks so i love yeah. that i am super <laughs> actually excited about trying to make that into a book or something that seems like a great idea because Peter, and i talked about that in my book about yeah. the professionals you know the being in zero-sum professions right so doctors yeah. lawyers uh, nurses, elite athletes I speak to and corporate executives. And mm -hmm. I go and kind of go through like the perceptions of them. Well, mm -hmm. doctors and nurses, of course, like everybody, you know, loves them and understandably so for what they do, elite athletes are very inherently respected. Right. But when it comes to executives and lawyers, our perception from society is not really positive. So right. Um, right. it is interesting that you brought that up. It's, yeah. it's a good way, I think, to change it. I want to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm going to get back to that. I want to, you know, yeah. touch on that, that on that perception piece, you know, when, when we get, when I get to that point, but I, I think that's, there's something def definitely there. Um, but, you know, let's kind of fast forward just a little bit, you know, from the childhood to, uh, you know, when you went to college, uh, you attended uh, Mercer, Uni Mercer University. I did for undergrad and law school. For undergrad and law school. And you majored in undergrad uh, education. I'm sorry, uh, you minored in business administration and majored in political science. I did. Yeah. Were you originally thinking about, well, I know you, you were you thinking about career in politics or like what, what was going on with that? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I did not want to go that route. 
Um, no, I just did poli sci because it was a very yeah. um, typical major for going to law school. And I love like the liberal arts side of it and science, okay. science and liberal arts too, but yeah. it's not my wheelhouse. Like, you know, gotcha. biology, chemistry, not my wheelhouse. So that's why I went ahead and did the political science. The polit okay, poly gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really interested in this, this whole lawyer thing, right? Because, you know, I just kind of share, share with you my thoughts about them being superheroes, but you know, what, what is the process of um, becoming a lawyer, right? How, how long do you have to attend law school? Do you have to put a certain amount of hours in like, like, for like as an intern, you know, how they do you in marketing and stuff like that? Right. Is there like standardized testing? Like what's the, what's this process like to becoming, to becoming a lawyer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, really, you know, undergraduate education and then so four years, then going to law school for three years um, yeah. and then passing the bar exam to become licensed in whichever state that you want to practice. Um, right. Of course, you know, you have your entry level exams for uh, undergrad and then you have your entry level exams for law school. Um, yeah. there, but there's really no requirement in terms of even once you graduate, how many hours you should have interned. It used to be back before they had the bar exam. That's okay. how you became qualified. You interned with lawyers, which I think they absolutely should bring that back. Right, so I can't right. tell you how many people pass the bar exam that have no right to be practicing law, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's yeah, not indicative sure. of your ability to be a good lawyer. Um, but that's that's how they used to do it. So yeah. really there isn't a requirement, um, but I think obviously it does you uh, a great benefit to do that. So that's what I did. I started yeah. putting myself in law firms in high school because I did oh, have that wow. goal. So I started exposing myself early on to see what was out there. And so I've done everything from answering the phones, legal secretary, admin, to now being a lawyer. So I really know yeah. everything in between that process. Yeah, that's that's really great, you know, because there there's something there's something missing in our society that, you know, generations before had, which was, you know, um, you know, apprenticeships, Appren yeah. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but you know, you, you, you would be an apprentice of somebody and that was like a master in, in their craft. And, you know, how, how else would you become a master if you're not learning from someone that has mastered it before you, you know, um, I, there's so much to our society now where it's just like learn as you go, you know, so to speak. And, I like the idea of becoming an apprentice, especially when, 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 when it's conducive to like whatever the situation you're in at the time, like being a high school student, what else are you going right. to do? Right. Just go, go, right. go, exactly. go, go learn how you go. Cause, cause once you become an adult, I mean, it's like nonstop adulting, you know, it's just like, yep. <laughs> you have no time every for day. apprenticeship Yeah, every day. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I know that, you know, your, um, your experience with, uh, I guess they call it the LSAT. Yes. Was wasn't yes. the, the best experience. Um, it wasn't not not saying not, not to say the best experience, but the outcome wasn't what you expected it to be. Um, you know, I don't want to, you know, steal the thunder. What was your experience with the LSAT? You know, how did how did, yeah, that, so how, how did that affect you? In terms of standardized testing and like high school and stuff, I'd always done above average, but okay. I have always dealt with anxiety and depression. I say always since about high school is when okay. I started remembering it kick in. Um, yeah. So when I took the LSAT, especially seeing you got to consider that I've wanted to be a lawyer since middle school, right? Right. So right. I'm on this trajectory and I take this exam to get into law school and it is literally the only thing standing in my way from going to law school. Um, I put in an immense amount of pressure on myself and right. um, to the point where it's detrimental. So I didn't get the okay. score that I wanted to initially get into the schools that I was applying for. And then from a timing standpoint, I need to wait another year. And I wanted to take mm. it again to see if I could boost my scores. They weren't improved that much, but I did reevaluate where I wanted to go to school. Yeah. So I did go to Mercer Law. It was a smaller school, um, but I enjoyed my experience in undergrad. So that's the reason I kind of shifted. 
but um, I did take it twice. And let me tell you, and standardized tests uh, generally are not fun, but especially when you're paying a good bit of money for it and right. it's, you know, standing in your way of accomplishing the goal that you want to reach. Right. So that was the, that was part of the challenge. And then in law school, um, the tests, there are just insane. It's one test per semester in a class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it may be open book, you know, open note, but you don't have the time. Like there's, you yeah. know, it's just, it's that they might not as well not even get it to you. So right, right. that's tremendously, you know, stressful as well. Um, I was at the bottom, almost the bottom of my class in law school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, somebody has to be right. We all graduate <laughs> as lawyers at the end of the day, but still you don't yeah. feel good about it. Right. right, right and you're like, right. is this, and I knew this wasn't representative of what the real world was in the legal field. Some people right. didn't have any exposure to the legal field before coming to law school. Right. So it really did a number on them. Right. And then when I graduated and I took the bar exam, I, uh, I had a really hard time, same situation. I knew I'd gotten out of it. This was the last thing, last thing standing in my way to be a lawyer. Yeah. And I took it the first time and I did everything you were supposed to do. Um, I studied, it wasn't a lack of studying. It just wasn't studying what was best, the best way for me. Right. And as a reason, I mean, you only have so much time. So first time I took the exam, I missed by two points. Mm. Second time I took the exam, I missed by one point. Oh, man. And I, and you, they only offer it twice a year. And so July and um, February. So, or August and February. And so it, it's, it really kicked me. I mean, kicked wow. me down and I've overcome wow. some things, but it, I distinctly remember that second time getting the results. And I was um, married at that point and living with my husband and I just yeah. crumbled to the floor. Like mm. I felt like I've been physically kicked. Um, mm-hmm. And just then really saying like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, I know yeah. this test isn't what being a lawyer is. So it's not that I don't think I can do it, but damn, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes, no, for so sure. Much, right, so right, much. Right. Getting my mind right about it. And I really thought there's nothing else that I wanted. I love my animals and I love volunteering, but I almost don't want to blur that line too much between yeah. what one personal passion is, even though I'm very passionate about my job now and yeah. merging too much of that. Um, right, right. But I went back. I was like, I, I'm doing this. Come mm-hmm. hell or high water. I'm mm-hmm. doing this. Mm-hmm. And I finally passed. Wow. So um, I got licensed in the, thank you, in the fall yeah. of 2015. So, wow. um, okay. You stay with it. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, that's powerful. You know, just you keep getting punched. You know, the world's telling you no and you keep saying yes, right? And it's just, it's just so tough. Um, you know, I, I heard you say, you know, I, and we, we, we just talked about it now, you know, how, you know, some, some people are just, naturally good test takers for some reason maybe they figured out this the system of how to pass tests you know um but that doesn't necessarily materialize you know into them becoming the best lawyers for their clients when they go out into the real the real world and how that you know a part of that was what what affected you the most like hey i know i can do this job right but this crazy little test here is preventing me from becoming you know what i feel like i was born to do what i was made to do and, um, you know, for you to be able to, you know, remain true to that, you know, have that, have that belief that, you know, this is what I was, you know, made to do, or this is what I want to do. It made me think about Jeff Bezos. Um, have you ever heard, he, he talked about the, uh, it's called the, what is this thing called? The regret minimization framework. Have you oh, heard of that before? No, I haven't. So, so 
it was he was doing an interview and, and you know the, the interviewer asked him a question in reference to you know how did he come to the decision to to take the risk you know uh to walk away from at the time he was making good money at some firm you know uh before he started amazon so what how did you how did you determine to take that risk and ultimately you know walk away from this well-paying job and uh he, he said he employed what he called the regret minimization framework and the question you ask yourself is you know when i'm 80 years old would I, would I, will I regret not doing X, you know, fill in the blank? And if the answer is no, then move on, right? And if the answer is yes, then you got to do it. Um, and, you know, I guess my question for you was, uh, you know, how did you justify moving forward with this test and doing all this stuff, you know, and not pursuing another career route? And, you know, like, how did you, what was your regret minimization formula, you know, to, to move forward? Yeah. So it's, it's striking that you bring that up. Cause that's literally the question I, I asked myself after the second one, like, okay, if, if you don't do this, if you yeah. find something, maybe you don't know it now, but if you find something that, you know, you think you'll be happy doing, mm-hmm. are you going to regret not having tried? And yeah. unequivocally, my answer was yes, because mm-hmm. I knew I could do it. I knew mm-hmm. I could be a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. It was just this test. So, yeah. um, yeah. but not only that, when you have a hurdle that big, you have to start looking at solutions. I'm a big problem solver. Okay. So I'm very introspective. So I um, mentioned to you earlier that I've dealt with depression and anxiety and I have managed it over time to, you know, in different ways that was appropriate during that time frame in my life. But I realized how much the anxiety had taken hold Mm -hmm. of me. And so not Mm -hmm. only was I fighting this test, I was fighting myself Mm -hmm. every single day, every waking moment. And I was trying to power through it, right? And will myself and positive thinking can get you really far. And, you know, good psychological techniques and methods can be very beneficial. But after a certain point, you have to recognize that depression and anxiety are chemical imbalances. You can't will yourself out of of having high blood pressure, right? Like you actually have to do something (laughs) to all your circumstances. (laughs) Depression and anxiety, Um, you know, for some people, it's the point, even if it's a small level, it's still a chemical imbalance that you, you have to address in that way, in a medical way. So mm-hmm. I did, mm-hmm. I went and, you know, began talking to my therapist again. Um, I got on some medication that really helped that cyclical thinking that was just repetitive in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, you're not going to be able to do this, or, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, this is so hard, or, you know, why aren't you trying hard enough? Those are the mm-hmm. biggest things in my life, not being mm-hmm. enough in my mind and the mm-hmm. shoulds, mm-hmm. I should be a certain way, or I shouldn't be that way. Um, so, and then when that's all consuming it, you're fighting yourself, you're just not going to be able to be productive. Right. So I dealt with that and then I could focus the third time really on the exam for what it was. Um, and that was the biggest thing was accepting that this was all right. I I was not doing something wrong because I had the anxiety and depression. It's, Mm -hmm. it just is what it is. Right. Stop fighting yourself, find a solution and embrace it and move on. And so that's why I become so open about it is because one, I think a lot of people deal with it. They don't realize it or they don't want to realize it. Two, it's, it's can be so beneficial and freeing to actually embrace what it is about yourself. Um, And I think it's a little easier to swallow and it's palatable when you think about it, it is a chemical imbalance. I mean, you're not doing something wrong. You're not deficient. Are you going to say somebody's deficient for having, you know, like high blood pressure? No, No, (laughs) it's not something they're doing on purpose. Right. Right. So, yeah, just really embracing Mm. that and uh, finding a solution to the problem was how I attacked it. Yeah, that's, you know, giving yourself permission, right? You know, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's so powerful. You know, um, so so many of us, you know, we're just so hard on ourselves. We just can't forgive ourselves for the for the slightest missteps. You know. Yep. And you know, we got to first, you know, like you said, you know, give ourselves permission, forgive ourselves, and then you know, seek that help that may not necessarily even be in your network at the time, right? Maybe it's not someone that you're close to. It, it might have to be a professional, right? It probably is going to have to be a professional, right? Right. Uh, that can help you to, you know, develop a process to get through this thing. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, I know a lot of people when they hear yeah. that, you know, th that's going through something similar will be blessed because it's, 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 it's it, you know, developing the confidence, right? To, to, to do something that the world stigmatizes, right? <laughs> like going to get Absolutely. help for, for, you know, you know, and I, I just, yeah, I just love speaking with people like yourself who have given yourself permission, who have came out on the other end of it. And now you're sharing your story. I think that's so powerful. So I just want to thank you again, you know, for doing of course. that. Yeah, for sure. And it's not easy. I don't want to, for anybody who's going through it, I fully recognize how intense it is and how yeah. overwhelming it is. Yeah. I've been in those places. I have. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you have to do that, you know, what you said, what Jeff Bezos does, you know, like, are you going to look back on the rest of your, you know, at the end of your life and say, you know, I wish I'd done something different. Nobody yeah. wants to live this way. Nope. So to the extent that you can help yourself or at least get the tools yeah. or the people around you to help you, yeah. that's what you need to focus on. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's just so interesting, like the, the temporary nature of things and how you know, these thoughts are going to happen regardless of how healthy you may be. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be have healthy mental health, but what does it mean to have to be healthy mentally, you know, to have healthy mental health? Um, you know, I think a part of it is, you know, that it's okay to have these feelings, to have these thoughts, but it's not okay for them to, for you to ruminate on them long, longer yes. than they, you know, and that 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 could be a part of what's the difference between you know good mental health and bad mental health is you know when the when the, when the, when they come in are we recognizing them and then you know cutting them off or are we allowing them to you know uh, persist and you know it's just these are the things that you know you learn as you you know have that self awareness you get the help and things of that nature so yeah once again you know I just can't thank you enough and applaud you enough for what you're doing um, oh, I thank wanted you. Of course. yeah so. So, you know, you know, want to get back to your story. You know, you're you're, you're a lawyer now, and um, you know, one I, I remember early in my career, um, I could not wait uh, to get into leadership. You know, I wanted to become yeah. a manager so bad. You know, I, you know, I had this unrealistic, you know, expectation of what leadership was, though specifically management, because that's what I was going for. Um, and when I finally got my first opportunity, um, it was in an immediate like rea reality check, um, and I I needed to adjust my mindset, right, uh, to really determine if this is what I wanted to do long term, uh, spend my life doing. So I it's leading up to the question, which was, you know, share with us your experience, you know, as a fresh, new, idealistic lawyer, just overcame one of the one of the biggest hurdles and major, you know, upsets in your life, you know, you know, kind of take it from there, you know, what what was true about your career path that you confirmed kind of early on? Uh, when you first when you first started out after passing the test and getting into your into your field, yeah. So I I definitely fulfilled that um, need and want to help people um, yeah. and really give them a voice that they wouldn't otherwise have. So that was okay. confirmed. Um, okay. I didn't have a you know unrealistic expectation that way. Um, yeah. I think uh, coming to terms with there are things outside your control, which <laughs> I know is an obvious thing to say, yeah. but in my mind, if you worked hard enough, you could do it. And that's what okay. I had been doing. 
until that point, right? Okay. I had worked hard enough or found solutions to get past the next hurdle. Yeah. And then coming to my first job, which a lot of promises were made that were not okay. fulfilled. And okay. I was ultimately told I was a luxury that could not be afforded, which makes you feel super awesome. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then I was terminated and I had had no indication like this. I was doing a great job. I knew I was. It was a lot to handle. And so to come to terms with this wasn't me. This was mm -hmm. not me. This was this other person. Mm -hmm. um, that was really hard. So things mm -hmm. outside your control that aren't you and really ex not knowing that, but also accepting that and yeah. genuinely believing that it wasn't myself. Yeah. Um, so that was the, one of the biggest hurdles. And then the same thing happened again, actually, I got to my dream job at another firm, great, uh, partner who had been doing this for 20 years, well-respected, wow. had some associates that were close to my age and okay. he didn't pull rank. He really put us in there to learn. Like you're mm -hmm. going to learn sink or swim. I'll help you, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you're not going to figure it out any other way by doing so it was great. It was a great environment to learn and to be a new lawyer. Um, yeah. Great dynamics. About a year and a half after I started there, um, the senior associate was brought on as part as co-partner okay. and the founding partner a month later committed suicide. Oh my gosh. He, wow. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he left letters. He had been stealing from clients for eight years. Oh man. So aside from obvious, the obvious trauma, you know, that, that inflicted on everybody at the firm, um, coming to terms with the fact that this person who was presenting a certain exterior and nobody knew, I mean, nobody knew, nobody had any idea. Um, people respected him. He'd give you the shirt off the back, which was his back, which was even more bizarre and hard to reconcile. Yeah. Um, but again, it was outside of our control. Yeah. None of us had a choice. I didn't have a choice. It, it, it was what it was. Yeah. So what could we do to move on from that? And the new partner, myself and one paralegal decided to keep trying to make this go, go on and work. Mm -hmm. um, so again, that fighting, that tenacity, like just yeah. let's try to make it work. And so yeah. for a year, I was running all the cases in our firm. My oh, wow. new partner was dealing with the fallout from the estate from the stealing, even though it wasn't us and those clients weren't ours with the firm anymore. Yeah. There was just a lot, a lot to process. And of course, wow. even though it wasn't our responsibility, we wanted to help to the extent that we could try to fix things or make things better, give information, any of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after a year, I, uh, I came to the point where I had been doing everything, everything to keep that firm successful that we were in at that point. And sure. I felt like I, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't care more about this person's business than the person whose name was on the door. Yeah. I couldn't pull this person kicking and screaming with me, even if it was understandable why he was where he was. And I was more than understanding and supportive. It got to the point where I one day had, I, I hit my rock bottom. Okay. I had to call my husband home from work. I was that concerned about myself and where I was mentally. And okay. that that's the darkest I've been. And something changed. Something absolutely changed in me. And from that point on, I was enough. I had proven to myself that I was enough. Okay. And I knew in my mind I was enough, but I didn't really believe it yet. Yeah. I still thought I should do this or I should do that. Or, you know, 
you know, whatever, fill in the blank in your internal, you know, dialogue. Um, But that was the point that I finally hit that I believed I was enough. I had done more than any other person would have most likely in that situation. I tried harder, had, uh, you know, just really had the tenacity to do it. And that's when everything shifted for me. And I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care, you know, about what could happen if I walked away. Um, Hmm. that's, that's really when everything shifted for me. Yeah. So having the realization that things are outside of your control and being able to let that go is there are two things, right? You know it, but being able to do it is the other part of this. I think so many people just can't do, and I get it because I've been there. I was there for so long and I don't want people to have to get to the point where I did to be able to let that go. Right. And that I can help people. Yeah, yeah, and that's what and that's what you define as rock bottom. You know, the rock bottom is where a lot yeah. of times the shift happens. Okay. Absolutely. And I don't use that uh term or addiction flippantly at all. I genuinely mm-hmm. believe that people in society have an addiction to the status quo. Mm-hmm. And it can be just as dangerous, if not more so, I would argue, than some of the other addictions out there, because at least people recognize that, you know, being an alcoholic is a problem. People will recognize yeah. being an addict is a problem. Right. Um, and there are resources out there. And of course it's hard, but there are resources. Right. Where do you go for being addicted to the status quo? Right. And a lot yeah. of those other things flow from it, right? If you are trying to get the million dollar house, you know, the whatever car, the 2.5 kids, everything that society kind of feeds to us as being like what we all should be wanting. Right. Yeah. How, how do you process that in any other way than trying to fill that void with things? So alcohol, right. drugs, right. Right. you know, negative, you know, self-talk, whatever the case may be, there's mm-hmm. no place you go for that. That's so true. Yeah. And we have people marketing to you every day saying that this is what you're supposed to be. So true. The yeah. society is just a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. I genuinely sure. believe that there's, there's a need to address that, that issue. And I think people yeah. can live happier lives as a result of it. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen consumerism destroy people's lives, you know, as a result of that, you know, um, they're, they're in a place where their shame, you know, that centered around their finances and, what may have happened to their finances as a result of making bad decisions and things of that nature. You know, we'll talk to people about our relationships. We'll talk to people about all types of stuff, but we're not going to talk to you. We won't, we won't talk about our finances. Right. And now we're, you know, we're internalizing something that now is affecting other aspects of your life. And it, and it does lead to, you know, bad habits, you know, um, shop therapy and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's like you said, it's not until it's too late where now you, you know, where you can't hide it anymore, where you have to, you know, people, you have to involve people now. Um, you know, so like what you're saying is so important, you know, how do we get people two or three levels before the rock bottom, you know, to start to reach out, to feel comfortable enough uh, to say something about what they're going through, right? And I think that that's so powerful, you know, because there, there are Alcoholics Anonymous and, and places where people can, you know, have community around shared experiences right and and feel free enough to speak speak about these things but there isn't anything for shame there isn't anything for you know the status quo so you know what you're saying is it, it definitely resonates with me on, on a deeper level because of my experience working with people i, I worked in banking for six years and hearing oh, yeah. all and, and having all these stories come through my door and knowing that you know no that they're dealing with these things and it's this 
a thousand pound weight on their shoulder and that no one else is helping them carry that weight. And it was just, you know, it's just, a, it's a tough, it's a very, very tough thing. Um, it made me think about this. Uh, have you heard of Brene Brown? Oh, I was just going to hit on that when you yeah. stop talking. The shame. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, she, I love her. <laughs> you want to talk about an idol for me? Like yeah. that's somebody that I just truly admire. Uh, I love um, her too. For embracing her own story as well. Yeah. I know, right? You know how she, you know, how she's defined, helped define the distinct difference between shame and guilt. You know, yes. and, you know, for, for the people listening who may not know, uh, you know, uh, the easiest way to separate shame and guilt is to say uh, shame is I'm bad and guilt is I did something bad. Right. Shame is a focus on self and guilt is a focus on behavior. And, you know, if you're going to have either one of the two, you want to have guilt. Right. Where if something bad happens, you know, if you make a mistake that you're not a bad person for that happening you're not like un unworthy for you know to live and things of that yeah. nature right it's just that you know you have now you have to just change that behavior so that thing doesn't come up you know happen again right and i i, I found it to be so powerful you know just that that mindset shift you know so yeah what's what's your experience like with Brene brown and you know this idea of shame versus guilt <laughs> yeah so that was one of the biggest uh first steps that i took or i can really okay. pinpoint um i i read a number of her books and okay. i had made some mistakes in yeah. my life that were a little bit of a pattern. Um, and I was, I just, I kept feeling like I was a bad person, a horrible person for doing it. Okay. And even though I was trying to process it, trying to move forward with it, um, I finally had to, I, I read that part in one of her books about the idea of like, I'm a bad person versus what I did was bad. Right. And really wanting to shift and to be able to let that go. Right. And recognize, yes, I don't like what I did. Yes, I did it maybe a couple times, but yeah, yeah. I I recognize it. I recognize why it happened. Here's right. how I can process it, and it doesn't define me as an individual. Right. And that's the biggest thing, right? Like you want to hold on to it almost, especially I feel like for people who recognize it's a mistake and they don't want it to happen again, they feel so badly. They it's like a self imposed sentence to a degree, yeah. right? Holding yeah. on to that somehow makes it better, which it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've been there, I've done it. And yeah, so learning to let that go, because really you're never going to be the best version of yourself. I mean, until you deal with these things that are holding you back, which in right. that point in my life was that particular issue and that negative self thought about that. Sure. So embracing that literally was the sure first time I had shifted my perspective. Um, so drastically about something. And then when it came to, uh, the idea of being enough or the shoulds, um, that was the other time in my life. And Brene Brown speaks on a lot of good, good things. I literally could oh, quote yeah. her, like her entire book as things yeah. to remember, right? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> but just shifting your perspective on life. So you were talking about how do we get to people a, a couple steps before they hit rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I talk about it in my book. And one of the first things I ask the reader is, are you happy? Yeah. And then I tell them to wait. Don't, mm -hmm. don't give me your, yes, of course I am. Like, because mm -hmm. it's, it, it, what is happy first of all, right? So that's a subjective yeah. term. Yeah. Second of all, how, how are we, you know, how do you know that you are or not? Um, so I go through the entire book and then I get, I think that's where we, we get people, we get yeah. people to sit and say, are you happy? And really sit and think and reflect on whether you're happy or not. Because I know being an A type, being a check, you know, a person who is a checker on lists. I got to that point in my life, actually at the firm before the partner committed suicide, I had checked off everything I wanted to do okay. and I wasn't happy. Okay. And I didn't know why, because I thought yeah. in my mind, once I accomplished my goals, I'd be happy. Right. That's not what being 
means, right? Right. Um, hmm. So really understanding what happiness means, understanding also that it's different for every person. So then it's even harder to kind of pin yeah. down. Yeah. Um, hmm. But that's the point that you have to look at to decide if you're going to do these other steps to prevent yourself from going down that path or yeah. hitting rock bottom at the end of it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, it makes me think yeah. about, um, you know, something I heard you say talk about, which is uh, the facade. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a real like definition type person. Like I'll Google a definition in a moment. Like I, I might know what the word means. I just want to know what the, right. what the dictionary is. So, yeah. so uh, an outward appearance that is maintained to conceal a less pleasant or creditable reality, right? It's the definition of facade. And that's the, te- that's the technical definition, right? But, you know, based on your experience, you know, how has this idea of keeping up a facade manifested, let's say, in your life and in the lives of, let's say, the colleagues in the legal profession? Like, is this something that happens a lot in, in the legal profession, which kind of goes back to where we were in the beginning, you know, talking about, you know, you know people in the legal profession, how we, you know, how we see them, you know, is kind of like buttoned up, got it all together. Maybe this is the reason why people don't like lawyers, because they seem to have it together. <laughs> yeah. But that, that could be a facade, right? So, like, what's your experience with, you know, people you know, dealing with this and what are some of the limiting beliefs that begin to kind of dominate a person's mindset, you know, as it, as it pertains to like that facade, it's kind of a loaded question, but you know. Yeah, no, no. Um, I, first of all, I'll I'll go from general to specific. I absolutely think our profession uh, suffers from that. Um, We put out this image of ourselves. I mean, not least of which, because we are having to get business, right? We have to market ourselves. Right. We put out it all together. You know, I, this way in this suit and I have this expensive desk here and I won this multi-billion dollar case and it all may be true. You may be wearing it, you may have the desk, you may have gotten the case, but you're, you're putting it up for some reason, right? You're putting it up because you think that's what people want to see. And you think that that's what makes you who you are. Um, And I think deep down people are so insecure about where they stand in the profession competing against each other. Um, and who they are as individuals, right? Because this goes back to being happy. If you're yeah. happy, are you really going to be doing these other things? Are you, or are you going to feel secure enough to not have to do those things? And that's really right. where the point that I got to. I was, I'm younger, I'm a female in a male dominate profession. Um, I look younger than I actually am. So that doesn't help the situation. <laughs> um, so dealing with these people who had done this for a lot longer than me, um, you know, it was intimidating. And I felt like I, who was I to feel confident in what I was doing basically is what I right. felt like. Right. So long. right, right. And right. so you try you fake it until you make it to a degree, right? You just yeah. like think you can kind of put this, you know, facade out there about what's going on with you and then keep everything together inside. Um, but the reality is you can't, and it's not being authentic to you as an individual. It's not being authentic to your clients. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and it goes back to really the root of your identity and whether you're happy or not, or, you right. know, again, happy people don't, it's, it's not lying in the sense that you're trying to hurt somebody or omit something, but really it is kind of a lie. Cause it's not yeah. what's actually there, who you right. are, right. you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others as a result of it. So when I hit that mm-hmm. point, that rock bottom, everything shifted. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had done more than enough. I knew I was enough. So yeah. who I was didn't have to change. Mm. I could be who mm. I was, still get clients. I could be who I was and be mm. happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make it a point. I don't put any numbers on my website in terms of about cases that I win or don't win. Wow. Aside from the fact that I don't want to set expectations with clients and it's not realistic for every case. Yeah. That's not what I'm about. 
every result and win for a client is different for every client. I want them to have the best outcome possible for them, which may be less money, but being done with the case, which may be more money and taking it to litigation. You know, there's a number of things that go there. It's not just about the money. Um, I also don't put out there. Well, I don't have either. I don't have a dedicated office space. And I did that from the beginning from a business standpoint to keep my overhead low. The other reason I did it was I don't meet my clients in person so infrequent. And when I do, I would go to them. They've got work. They are injured. Like they don't need to be coming to my office in midtown Atlanta, seeing a marble conference. They don't care. If I was representing like fortune 100 companies and even then talk about facades, maybe we could talk, but I don't, I represent the average person who wants to be known that they're going to know that they're going to be taken care of. Yeah, for sure. And a marble table isn't going to help that. Right. It's just not. Right. Right. So, and then of course, yeah. when COVID came around, it was just like really helpful that I didn't have all that overhead. Already, um, right. Ahead of the game. But <laughs> yeah, I was ahead of the game. But the idea of being authentic with my clients and really uh, speaking and being okay with that, being okay with not having that you know fancy office, not being yeah. a stereotypical lawyer that's been around the block for X number of years and. throwing these holiday parties that are God only knows what they cost for everybody. Like I'm doing what I'm doing and it's working. So why not keep doing it? And I think at the end of the day, it allows me to be more authentic with people. Mm -hmm. And that's what people connect to. They connect to the individual. And if they like you, they want to do business with you. Clearly my clients don't want to be hurt, but if they're going to be choosing somebody, they want to know somebody cares about them and is genuine. And that's yeah. what sets you apart from other lawyers in my it's profession. Way, way more relational for sure. And, that, and that's, that's the word that kept popping in my mind as you were talking like relational, relational, relational. Yep. And um, you know, it, it really kind of confirmed something for me too, uh, that Seth Golden talks about, which is like the, uh, the easy to measure metrics versus the, mm-hmm. um, the important to measure metrics, right? Easy to measure metrics are numbers and statistics and stuff like, you know, like you know, how many clients did we get this month? How much money did we, you know, all the stuff that is easy to measure, but sometimes it's kind of hollow. Um, the important to measure stuff is like, how many lives did we positively impact today? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, how many people are actually giving testimonies about the Burmeister law firm, about how, their service and how they, you know, you went above and beyond, you know, these are the things, these are the metrics that people care about, right? You know, I want to know, like, if I, if I employ you to do this work for me, that I'm going to get the best, the, the best, you know, and a lot of times numbers don't show that, but a person's testimony will, will show that, you know, yep. and th- those are some, and that's, and that's, that's what I hear. You're really about those important to measure metrics. And uh, I, th- I think that's really, that's really great. You know, that's, that's yeah, way different you. than I, I've ever experienced with a law firm. Everything is just like, you know, yeah. we're able to get this done in six months and it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Right, so what if it doesn't happen like that? You know, like, right, <laughs> if, right. Are you going to exactly. give me all my money back? You know, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's sometimes teaching people what to expect yeah. too, right? I mean, if that's what they're being fed on billboards and ads on TV, God knows there's plenty of them here. I'm sure there are plenty yeah. of them in Chicago. Um, yeah. I'm having to shift people's perspective. And then quite frequently, the people that I'm attracting, and this was something I had to learn as a business owner. I didn't, I don't have to be everything for everyone, right? I don't have to, um, you know, be a certain, an older white male. It's I'm not, I'm not right. First of all, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I want to work with those people, right? I don't want to work with the people that feel intimidated by the fact that a woman who is younger runs their case. I don't need to be working with. People yeah. aren't contacting me now 
about, oh, I want, you know, millions of dollars on a case for a fender bender where they didn't have any permanent injury. I've actually really carved my own path and have driven away people that wouldn't be good fits for me. And if they go with people that are willing to take their case, that's their prerogative. But I really realized uh, early on, thankfully, that I could carve out my own area and presence, even in a very saturated uh, practice area by being who I was. And I remember distinctly last summer with all the protests, I really wanted to put something on my website that spoke to the fact that I was um, all inclusive. I didn't discriminate my clients. I didn't discriminate, you know, based on people I worked with and I wouldn't work with people that did. And, you know, for a split second, I was like, what if, what are people going to think? And I was like, who cares? I don't want (laughs) to be working with people that have a problem with that. You know, as much as I, you know, want business and I want to keep doing well, I'm going to attract the right people. And in the long run, it's, you know, less frustrating. I think costs you less money to work with people that you have good relationships with. So I'm attracting the right people that want to be, you know, my clients and aren't going to think of, you know, a white woman has X perspective on life. Um, yeah. So it's very, it, it's very uh, freeing also to yeah. be able to be authentic, but you have Absolutely. to figure out who you yeah. are before yeah. you start on that path. Wow. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. You know, um, and I want to be very mindful of your time. Um, I have, I have oh, some no, more questions fine. for you. Are, are we good? Okay. Um, but okay. yeah, I'll, everything you're saying is just so, I, I love it, you know, because it, it does, it does, uh, speak to going against status quo because everything you're saying is different than what society kind of teaches or the mm-hmm. direction that society goes in you know everything you know is not transactional it's relational like I love how you're you know uh, going against that going the other way and you know the people that you're attracting to your business I would imagine that those individuals have networks of people like themselves so that it, it opens up opportunities for you to meet more people like that, you know, so you have Absolutely. to, yeah, you know, so I love that, you know, and it, it, it takes care of itself, right? You just got to, like you said, do control the things you, that you can control mm-hmm. and focus on the things that, you know, that you do well and, you know, things work out. They, they typically do, you know, um, but I wanted to, you, you mentioned um, the partner at the, at, your, at the old firm, how, you know, when he committed suicide, um, one, one of my guests uh, wrote a book, titled suicide is not the answer and there's a part where he talks about the act of someone taking their taking their life um ultimately being a message of you know i'm going to show you how much i'm hurting right and i know you have some experience with with this kind of a thing you know where you know when someone's going through something like this it's it's like they don't want to share it with other people because they, maybe they feel like no one wants to hear it, right? That maybe they feel like people are going to judge them, say that they, they can't handle it, right? I've heard you say that, you know, people are going to think that you're weak. Um, what advice would you give someone struggling with this, with this limiting belief? You know, are there any words of encouragement you would like to share with our listeners who may be dealing with, you know, you know, dealing with their mental health struggles on their own, putting up that facade because they feel like no one else cares, you know, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. And um, first, let me say with the partner, I, at the very beginning, assumed that there had to be something else. Like, even yeah. though these letters were written, there had to be another reason. Yeah. Um, I've learned since then, based on other experiences with suicide in my life, that there are different reasons people commit suicide. Yeah. Um, I believe in his situation, quite frankly, he was being selfish. And I say that 
with the asterisk that I don't think committing suicide is selfish in and of itself. I understand okay. people are hurting yeah. and feel like that's the only solution. They're okay. not trying to be selfish. Right. Um, his situation, I think, was very different than the others I've seen or experienced. Um, so he's kind of an exception to the rule. I think he just didn't want to deal with what he had done wrong, not necessarily yeah. that he had other issues going on. He just okay. didn't want to deal with it. Gotcha. Um, in terms of lack of responsibility. Now, for everybody else, generally speaking, I think it it can feel like a solution. And I've been there. I have thought okay. that. Mm. And because you're tired. I think a lot of times what it is, at least was for me, I was so tired <laughs> of fighting myself. Yeah. I was tired of trying to manage the depression and anxiety every waking minute. And you can't sleep okay. all day. So yeah. you, yeah. you know, you gotta deal with it. Um, <laughs> I was just tired. And yeah. I think that's why people feel like it's a solution, but recognizing that this feeling is not permanent. Okay. You okay. have yeah. the ability to, if you can't do it on your own, because most people can't, right? If you're at that yeah. point, you can't. Identifying who can help you and what can help you and getting those, getting to those resources to see that it's not going to be permanent. It feels like it, but it's not. There's resources out there. And really, I mean, obviously we're only at 2021, but we're in such a good point in time that we have access to the technology, the medical advances, you know, and therapy that you can get those resources. Mm -hmm. um, so help yourself. You have to help yourself to some degree. And if you don't know where to start, reach out to a counselor's office, reach out to a suicide hop hotline. And I get it. You don't want to be the person that, you know, is a burden to other people. But if there are these resources out there for you and they want to help and you yeah. want to move past this, realize it's not permanent. You can right. totally find the resources and shift. It's going to take work. Yeah. It's going to be hard. But if you're, if you want to be out of it and you just don't know how it, it's, you can get the resources to help you. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, that's just, you know, we don't have to deal with these things on our own, you know, and uh, we're not the only ones going through these things, you know, and I, I know like based off some of my experiences that in the moment, it, it really does feel like you're the only one on, on the planet earth. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. going through you know whatever it is that, that you're going through at that time and you know the truth of the matter is is that that that's not true and that there are a lot of people who are you know facing similar circumstances and um yeah you don't have to go you don't have to go at it alone you know um there are people who are willing to help and um there are people that love you right and um yeah, yeah just you gotta you gotta overpower those limiting voices those beliefs in your mind you got to overpower you know the best the best we can well, so and you know something that i i've learned too is you know i frequently hear people say we were there you know we would have listened yeah i understand sometimes family and friends don't understand what you're going through maybe they For haven't sure. or maybe they haven't shared it yeah find the person that does understand that you yeah. can talk to mm. and understands the difference for what you're saying because you need to surround yourself with the right people to get accomplish your goal of moving past what your feelings are. Right, so I think that's right. the first point. The okay. other point is I understand too, we can tell people all day long that they're not alone, but you feel like you're alone at that point. You really do. So, yeah. and that's yeah. all that matters, right? Your feelings yeah. and yeah. your tiredness. And that's yeah. people don't commit suicide because they don't want to be with their family. They do it because they feel exhausted or that's their only option to peace. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that there are other options to peace your, you know, internal peace, 
um, is crucial. Um, one of the things I was going to, uh, oh, I forgot my train of thought too. Um, it was a good idea. It was a good idea. I don't remember. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, it'll come back but to you. yeah. Yeah, so that, I think no, that's the biggest thing to think about too. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that, Catherine. Um, I think that you know it's 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 much it's much needed for people to to really kind of speak about their mental health, um, and the, the you know uh, the, the the problems that we may have had with mental health because uh, there's so many people out here who just feel like they can't right because they don't want to be judged. But you know this is something that we're all going through, and um, right. you know we we have to have more courageous people like yourself you know, that's willing to speak about it and talk about their experiences and then also talk about, you know, how they were able to overcome it, so to speak, and how they're still dealing with it and, you know, living yeah. with it. You know, it's so, it's so important. People need to hear that. So, um, so I remember yeah. what I was going to say. Okay, uh, yeah, let's I do it. Actually, so I got a book about self-esteem and okay. I always thought I had high self-esteem, like in my mind, low self-esteem, <laughs> even after everything happened, tumultuous with me was like being in a corner crying, not being able to be productive. Like I thought that's what it was is not what it is. Even mm -hmm. the shoulds and the not enough, that self-esteem mm -hmm. dates. So mm -hmm. I, I got that book and then I also got like a workbook that went with it. And one of the things that they mentioned um, as a tool was for your negative self-thought, what voice is it? First of all, identify what voice it is. Is it your voice? Is it somebody knows voice, like a family member that maybe instilled that in you? Yeah. Um, voice is it? So I, in my opinion, and maybe it's because it's the, what's happened for me, it's my voice. So it's really mm -hmm. easy to be like your own voice after yeah, a while, yeah, right? For sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it give it another voice. This was really helpful for me, even, you know, within the past year or two, give it another voice. Who do you not believe and can completely write off? I'm not going to get into politics, but there's somebody really easy for me that I can just blow off. Right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. their perspective on things. So yeah, yeah. that's the voice I made it. Okay. And I'm like, that's absurd. <laughs> like, why would I ever think that that's true about myself, yeah. you know, coming right. from this individual? And right. Right. so it really helps. But you have, you have to identify, you have to have the tools to identify what's happening. And then you yeah. have to have the tools to shift. So that's right. the biggest part first, like I've said, is identifying. But then once you've done it, you can say, okay, that's, that's a negative self-thought. Yeah. That's not me, right? Yeah. It may have sounded like me before, but here's how I can go about shifting my pattern of thought is by yeah. attributing it to this other individual that I would never in a million gotcha. years listen to. I like that. Yeah, um, that's, that's a good so that's, that's really just a simple way of, uh, of shifting it. And I think it's a yeah. long-term uh, solution too, just a constant reminder, like this is not real. You know, this yeah. is just a thought. There's no right. part of it. I think Brene Brown might've come up with this one is, is there any evidence to support this? Mm, yeah, for sure. Most of the time. There's not, not, you know, yeah. is there any evidence to support that I'm a failure at life? Really? Right, genuinely? Right, Are you genuinely. a failure at life? No, no, you're not. You know, there's right. no evidence to support this. So right. trying to be more objective about things and pulling yourself out of the emotional, which is super hard, but yeah. just little pieces here and there coupled together, yeah. I think can really make a difference. Yeah. Those micro, you know, those micro goals, you know, because uh, they compound yep. over time. They do comp it's, it's just like the, you know, the, the thought process that may have led to the ultimately, you know, becoming depressed. Oh yeah. Uh, compounded over time. Right. Um, so you, you have to reverse it somehow. Right. And I think, you know, why not do it in a micro kind of goal kind of a way, you know, um, you know, just 1% better every day, if you can, right. 1% exactly. better every week. Well, every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and if it's depression too, I know it's overwhelming to think of tackling such a um, seemingly insurmountable feeling. Yeah. Do 
thing. Like you, if one it's thing. taking one minute, if it's taking one hour, right. getting yourself showered for the day, yeah, calling right. a friend that you talk to, watching right. a happy movie, right. every little step is a success. And I yeah. don't think you can overlook that when people are in some places that are just so dark and just feel so uh, powerless. So yeah, I think that's sure. the thing you have to hold on to is that's a success. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Small victories, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I love that, uh, Catherine. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want to get into, you know, as we kind of start to wrap it up a little bit, you know, just talk about your business, talk about your book, um, and, you know, just talk about some of the great things I'm, I'm sure you're going to be doing and in, going into the future. But let's start Let's start with the business. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit already, you know, the business that you have. So I'm not going to revisit those, you know, because I had some of those questions. You answered them really, you know, already. So, um in 2018, you opened your law firm, um, and you had the, the kind of practice you have. You said it's a, it's a uh, what kind of practice is it again? The yeah, so it's personal injury law. Personal um, okay. It's exclusively personal injury, and personal injury is any type of injury that is the fault of someone else or a company, the fault okay. of a, a, another. Um, so that's that's what I focus on. Now, there's all different types of personal injury. There's yeah. car wrecks. There's medical malpractice, there's nursing home neglect and abuse, there's pedestrian accidents, there's dog bites. I do basically everything. Okay. I, it keeps things interesting for me, but that's not the case for every personal injury attorney. Yeah. Um, so I, I do it that way and I love it. Um, and I do cases from before litigation and all the way into litigation. Again, not all personal injury attorneys do that. Some of them just get the case all the way up to the point of trial and then refer it out to other yeah. people, other attorneys that will handle it. So that's okay. what I do. Um, it's just myself. I have, in terms of an attorney, I have a team oh, of five okay. people. Cool. Um, and my team is all remote. So even when I, at my inception, my inception, everybody's been remote. So I have yeah. two local people um, that are admins and I have three paralegals that are all out of state. And we've oh, been great. together now over two years. Um, yeah. And it's been amazing. And it's, that's another thing mm. going against the system. Nobody thought in a million years you could do this and do it successfully and it's what works i mean and yeah. it worked for me like i think you have to you know take everything and throw it out the window sometimes and say like yeah. let's try it what's let's the worst that it. happens it doesn't what's work right. and you pivot and you do something different um right, right, right. so that's what i did and it's been the best thing i'm able to work at home every day i mean now yeah. we have to but i you know even before <laughs> that so why am i going to pay for space that i'm just going to sit i don't have kids so yeah, I don't have to worry yeah. about those distractions, um, right, but it right. really is very freeing. Um, and from a business standpoint, it's good. It keeps my overhead low. So yeah. that's been going really well. Um, my team is great. I wouldn't give them up for anything in the world. Okay. Uh, and then with this book coming out, um, I've started doing speaking um, engagements and more writing contributions to you know websites and blogs and things like that. So okay. my speaking is focused on law. Part of it's law um, okay. and part of it is, business, you know, okay. and running a business, uh, small business remotely, all yeah. different aspects of that very, uh, servant leadership mentality. So oh, yeah. for anybody that. who doesn't know servant leadership is instead of the traditional, you know, top down approach, like I'm a manager, everybody supports the manager, you know, is more servant based where you get in there, you do the same things and we all benefit from it and right. you accept contributions for other people so we can all do well. Um, yeah. I didn't know I was doing that until I actually spoke for a Georgia tech MBA class. And he, you know, he's like, Oh, that's, you know, that's what you're doing. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I didn't know there was a name. I just yeah. did it. That's who I am. But, yeah. um, that's really how I operate my business. And then the self-care, that's the other aspect that I speak on. Okay. Um, 
how it's impacted me, how other people can use those resources. Um, and that's all on my website, but yeah. that's, that's really what I've focused my efforts on speaking yeah. on and writing on to the that. extent that I can help other people. Yeah. yeah. You got to upend that pyramid, upend it. <laughs> I know, I know. People, don't, again, that's what everybody does. So nobody thinks about changing it because that's yeah. what everybody tells you you have to do. Who says you right. have to do that? Who says you have to do so, anything, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And that's right, so freeing right. when, you, when, you, when you realize that, but then you can yeah. act on it. And the people to act on it, I think, is throwing out the care about what other people think. And to get right. to that point, you have to be happy. I'm always like, a, you know, like, let's circle back, right? Because they, once you're happy with yourself, yeah. You don't worry about what other people think. So you're not yeah. feeling boxed in to do X, Y, and Z this way. And you can free yourself to do whatever you want, however yeah. you want, if it's working. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah that's, that's really powerful. You know, I, I um, I'm a, I'm a believer in, uh, in Christ and, um, you know, I, I was recently uh, studying, doing some, some study and one of the, the, the uh, devotionals talked about, uh, you know, authority and, um, you know, in the army, you know, there, there are, you know, ranks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the person at the top, right, everybody under them has authority because the person at the top has authority. Right. And, and, that, and as a believer, I believe that, you know, as being a believer in Christ, you know, the authority that he has gives me authority on this earth, right? So yeah. authority over things under me. So like authority over, over fear, authority over, yeah. you know, all these things that we're talking about. So you know, that, that kind of a, thinking about it from that perspective really empowers me in a way, right. To say, you know what, like, who says I can't do anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, I have authority over here. Right. So, you know, if I want to do it, I should be able to do it. Um, regardless of where, where, you know, where I started in life, regardless of, you know, these, some of these limiting beliefs and things of that nature, I have authority over these things. So I should be able to push through them. And, and it just takes a time for you to get there. Cause I didn't always think like that. Right. It's, yeah. it, take, yeah. it takes time for you to get to that place. But once you get to that place, you know, that's, that's where you really can start going against the status quo. And in, in my, in, in, in my experience, you know, right. Uh, yeah. You don't have to. Different, right. For everybody, because yeah. I'm, I'm more of a spiritual person yeah. and I've been more drawn to Buddhist teachings, um, okay. which, is very to me non-traditional in the sense that it's not like one deity that you're you know seen as an authority figure right yeah, but yeah. it's really embracing your thought process about the world and yourself and so even shifting your perspective on what you want out of life and realizing that you're the simplicity of existing is enough and once you kind of scale it down to that yeah. part right it's it's just you it's yeah. just you just all these little parts that you can control and I think that's really freeing in a way too. So it's interesting that you speak to the, the religious mm. part for you, but I think there's so many ways to get to the same conclusion for people, yeah. people of different faith or different right. upbringing or different exposure through their life. Yeah, for sure. It's just getting to that place though, right? Where you, yep. where you, can, yeah. where you can experience that freedom, that mindset shift, right? Yep. Where it's not like you're not being dictated to You're You're the one, you know, writing the rules, you know, you're the one creating. Yeah. And you know, one of the other tips that has helped me and I've, I embraced a long time ago, even before my transformation, as I can call it, yeah. um, is what's the, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. What is the worst that can happen mm -hmm. and break it down? Don't just, you know, you can't just say, you know, it's going to be horrible. Okay. Let's get specific. What is the worst that happens? Yeah. And I know for me, you know, 
there's a reason that I am not a pilot, a surgeon <laughs> or things like that. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be in those professions, <laughs> right? I just don't need to be responsible and have somebody that could potentially die on my watch. Right. It's just not something I need to do. Right. Generally speaking for most people though, you know, when you're making decisions and even in your profession saying what's the worst that can happen. Right. And that's what I did when I went out on my own. Okay. I never wanted my own business. <laughs> I never wanted to be, uh, you know, I have my own firm or be, uh, you know, a boss. Um, but I got to that point because of everything I experienced, but I said, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen yeah. It doesn't work out. And I go get another job, yeah. you know, and that's, I'm not making light of the struggle of people losing their job or having to find another one because of course it's stressful. Of course, it's something else that you're having to do amongst everything, yeah. but really you have, you have yourself, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully you have your family and yeah. you have your health. Yeah. And I think those are probably the most important things at the end of the day that we would say, okay, I don't need mm. to survive. I don't need anything else. Mm -hmm. I can go from here and make decisions, right? Yeah. So losing certain things like that, of course, is traumatic, but it really allows you the free freedom yeah. to look back and say, okay, what decision can I make now? What's the worst that happens? Yeah. You know, and like even a, even speaking engagement, I'm sure it's going to happen to me. You know, I'm worried about what I'm saying. Okay, I misspeak. Yeah what's the worst that happens? Right. I mean, really in the grand scheme of things. And that's scheme. why I was thinking about grand scheme of things. What's the worst that happens? Yeah, for sure. You're embarrassed. Yeah. But you get to that point though. I think once you start asking yourself that question that it's not that big, it's of, not a that big of a deal. Um, yeah. So that, that's a good thing. Another tip that I think yeah. helps people too, or has helped me a lot. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, a part of, yeah. you know, this, this whole podcast, the limitless belief podcast, you know, uh, in a sense for me as a person doing it, was a way for me to exercise my limitless as well. You know, I have, uh, you know, I don't necessarily uh, like the way I communicate. I don't like the way I sound when I'm on the, on the microphone, but you know, like you said, I, I went through that process too. Like what's the worst that can happen, right? You know, I think the, right. the, the, the idea of the podcast, what it was for, who it was for, that that's way more important than, you know, how I feel about how I sound on, on, on the microphone. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's very, and I, that's something I use all the time. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing, right. Yeah. Is along this journey of self-improvement and, you know, uh, getting rid of this limiting beliefs, yeah. it's ongoing. I think that's the biggest thing people have to realize it is an ongoing process. Yes. I had a major you know, aha moment mm. for me mm. and something flipped. Yeah. That's probably not how it happens for most people. For sure. You have to continuously, not only is it not how it happens, but also I have to continually work on certain things. Right. So it's, I think in my mind, I thought for so long, happiness was a box that was checked. Right. Yeah. And that's why I was so disappointed once I checked all the boxes that I wasn't happy. Right. right and right. so I had to shift about what, what is happiness? Yeah. What does that look like? Right. Um, and that's when you finally realize this is, this is all so, um, multi-dimensional yeah. and you know it flows and it's not static right. you you're constantly working on things but it gets easier over time yeah. and it becomes more like you're saying these beliefs have been set in place for so long that's right it takes time to shift that perspective and keep you know improving on that's it right. so but it does get easier it does get easier um yeah and especially if you're surrounding yourself with people like you on a podcast like this, yeah. or, you know, another group online that maybe speaks to the same things, you surround yourself with the right people, yeah. whether that's business yeah. or personally, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I, when I started my business, 
I didn't want to be salesy. Like, how is I going to get business? I never had to go out and get business before in my life. And I was not a salesy person. I was so authentic. (laughs) I knew I wasn't going to be able to BS people on it. And then I realized I found myself with the right uh, business coach and she taught me, I don't have to be that way. I can be authentic and, you know, do what I do as myself and that'll build relationships. So I've surrounded myself with people in my business that have helped guide me to where I am, but they're the right people. They're the right people. Um, I think personally, it's the same thing. Surround yourself with a doctor that's willing to help you and talk to you about your mental health. Surround yourself with, you know, the psychiatrist that's, you know, willing to talk about the different medications Mm -hmm. and that your body metabolizes better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, Surround yourself with a support group that can understand what you're talking about with mental health. If your entire family either doesn't believe in it or doesn't understand or both. Yeah. So yeah. uh, you gotta you gotta help yourself in that in that regard by finding the people that can help you. Right. Yeah. Attracting those right people to you. Right. And I think that that happens through being authentic. You know, authenticity. Right. You yeah. know, you have to. Yeah. You got to show up. You know, being who Catherine Burmeister actually. You know, don't 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 come with the facade. Come with who you are, so that yeah. so that those people yeah. can show up based off of who you who who they need to be in your life. You know, really, not based right. off of you know you know, that elevator pitch or whatever the case is. Um, I want to, you know, so I want to definitely, uh, you know, be mindful of your time. So I want to talk about the status quo and then I want to talk about your book. Um, sure, the, the, absolutely. Yeah, so the status quo, right? I looked at, you know, the values of your organization and, um, you know, when you talk about challenging the status quo, are you advocating for challenging the status quo in the legal profession or are you championing, championing something more broader, right? Because I look at your values for your organization, you know, I look at these, these values as actions that help you to, you know, accomplish that goal. Yeah. So, you know, you have like holistic legal representation, you have self-improvement, authenticity, compassion, integrity, professionalism, you know, um, are these, are these the values that are, do you look at that, look at it that way? Like, these are the values that help me to accomplish that. And are you speaking about this from just a legal professional? Is it something broader? Yeah. So um, I do. No, you're fine. (laughs) I do look at those as guiding guiding principles for what I do. Um, And if you look at my personal brand website, I have other ones that, you know, dictate kind of how I operate my goals with my personal business. Um, But really, they both serve as the same purpose, right? They help me make decisions um, for my business, both businesses. Uh, based on those, because I know what I want to be and what this, you know, what my businesses are are founded on. So making decisions, you know, as I progress with them through my life based on these values is going to help kind of keep me on track. Right. Um, But I do think in terms of the status quo professionally and, you know, um, personally, I think, yeah, challenging it is, is what you have to do to be able to grow. Um, So again, status quo can mean different things for different people at different points in their life, but ultimately you're not going to grow if you stay stagnant. Yeah. Um, and so for my business in particular, um, as an example, I provide a holistic legal rep- representation, which a lot of people don't, they getting the most money for this person is the goal. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, not everybody has that goal. Not everybody, you know, that's not the best solution for everybody at the end of the day, even if, you know, they had that goal. Yeah. Um, so really having authentic experience with my clients okay. and speaking to them about the realities of, of the situation in life is how I approach it. Okay. And it's not always what they hear, but I feel like not only is that who I am, but it's also my duty as an attorney to uh, be forthcoming and upfront about what's happening with their case, how their case can progress or not, yeah. and what to expect down the road. Okay. 
Yeah, and you know, just thinking about you know, you know, the the, the book now, you know, rock bottom not required, mm-hmm. overcoming addiction to the status quo. Um, you know, I've heard you say that hitting rock bottom, in a sense, you know, helped you helped increase your belief um, in, right. in yourself and your ability to successfully, you know, begin your own practice, right? Um, but I, I'm sure you wouldn't recommend, and I think we talked about this a little earlier that you know, yeah. I'm sure you wouldn't recommend hitting rock bottom, right? However. You know, there are some, criti- yeah. some critical lessons, right, that you learned as a result of it. You know, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think was the most important thing you learned as a result of this experience? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like, like kind of like after learning it? You know, it's just like that, that compare and contrast. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, not everybody should hit it. I, I actually just shifted the title of it to Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo. Okay, um, cool. I, I love the, the flow of, you know, um, rock bottom, not required, but I didn't want people to feel like they were on that path yeah. or they were close to that to have to improve. Yeah. So I, yeah. I took that and I use it, you know, um, elsewhere in the book, but I really, it's, it is addiction to the status quo, wherever you are on that path. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, you know, really feeling like this is the way that you move forward out of certain situations. So before I hit that point, um, I, I was tired. I was fighting myself. I was <laughs> faking it. <laughs> I just shoved everything down. Even though I was more in tune with myself at that point in my life, yeah. I still was shoving everything down and just moving forward. That's all I could do. Yeah. That's all we could do for a long time going through what we went through. Right. Um, but I feel like a lot of people do that, right? Yeah. They don't want to sit with their feelings. It's not comfortable to look at your inadequacies and your shortcomings. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason it's hard. It is. Um, it is. But so many people keep doing it and keep moving forward. Um, and then ultimately they're stressed, they're unhappy, they don't um, enjoy themselves and what they normally would be, you know, happy doing. Yeah. So that's where I was. Okay. Um, I, I genuinely was not happy. And after that point, I, I was I wasn't happy. I learned how to be happy. Okay. And mm. it, part of it is a, is a choice. Um, because of those thoughts and your perception on what is reality versus what really is reality, you have to shift it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying you can just will yourself to be happy. What I am saying is you have to learn how to identify certain perspectives that are not helpful, mm-hmm. that are limiting, yeah. um, and ones that are you know going to allow you to grow. Yeah. So you do have to learn and choose to go down that path yeah. to be happy. Yeah. And then I think you realize that happiness really to me is the existence of yourself in its most, um, most best and its best form, yeah. right. Yeah. In its best form. It doesn't mean that you are ecstatic every day. Yeah. That's not what that means. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't experience frustration right. or sorrow or anything like that. In fact, I think that's what helps us experience happiness is understanding different emotions. Right. Yeah. Um, but it allows you to exist in a plane that you're happy with yourself. Yeah. And I think, and you're confident in yourself and you're authentic with yourself, which I think allows for happiness yeah. and everything else that you do. Yeah. And that's what happiness is. It's different from everybody, but it really stems from the same issue of being authentic with yourself. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's the process and the outcome, right? It, you know, I, I, I love what you're saying, you know, it's even with some of those negative beliefs, you know, you have to, you have to look at the outcome of whatever those beliefs are, whatever those habits are, and then reflect on them and say, is this, is this something that I want to continue? Or is this something that is actually a hindrance? And 
yeah. you know, that, that self-awareness part of it is just, it, like you said, it's so hard because, you know, who wants to have, it's hard to have these conversations with people, let alone have them with ourselves, you know, with yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you know, it, it's, it, you know, to be aware of what these outcomes are and, and if they're, if they're hindering you in some way, you know, to, to have that courage to say, you know what, I don't want this in my life anymore. Just the same way we would with someone that that's like a negative person, you know, like, yeah. like I love you, but I can't be around you. You know, it's like, these are things that we, ha- yeah. you know, it's just tough. It's, you know, you know, it's, it's just things that we have to do. So I love Zach. I love what you're saying. You know, just, you have to go through that process, but then you also have to be self-aware in a way where you're like, okay, what do I need to purge and what do I need to keep? What, mm-hmm. And what do I need to replace it with? Um, yeah. And I remember for so long for myself, it was, um, I, I couldn't understand the concept of happiness because I thought I have, first of all, have all these things, yeah, right? Yeah. And even if it weren't tangible things, it was, I, I came from a very stable and loving home. Yeah. I have been with my now husband for Lord <laughs> 20. No, we were together in 2002 is when we first met. Oh, so so cool. 19 years, oh. right? So um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Now I just forget, you know, it's like you hit a certain age, you start forgetting the numbers, but, um, you know, we're very fortunate. Yeah. He has an amazing job. And so I, I thought for so long, like what, how, what right do I have to not be happy? There's something wrong with me. Mm. That is not it. You can come from the best circumstances and we've seen it, right? Yeah. We've seen people that have been so emotionally, you know, just traumatize, even in the best situations that they take their lives. So it's not necessarily Uh. indicative of what you have, whether it's actual items or even a positive environment, it's all within yourself and recognizing that internally, I wasn't happy because I wasn't happy with myself because I wasn't being authentic with myself. And Mm. as soon as you're able to do that, I really truly believe that's the crux of it. That leads to all these other wonderful things that can come from it yeah take that you know get rid of that facade right you know forget 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 about the status quo right yeah thank you for that you know when when and where can we uh purchase the book absolutely so it's gonna be released on march 15th um it will be on amazon but the best way to find updated information is on my website katherine f as in frank burmeister.com okay um, and I can be found on social link tree KF is in Frank Burmeister yeah. um, is where you can find all links to my websites and uh, social media. Okay. So love that. And uh, you, so the last couple of questions I have is just really fun questions. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to wrap, yeah. we're going to wrap it up. So, you know, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Absolutely. So expose yourself. Um, I can't tell you how many people I went to law school with that literally have never been in a legal field. And so one, they didn't know what they were getting to in law school. And two, they had a rude awakening when they got out and started practicing and they left the profession. Yeah. Um, really expose yourself early. That goes with any legal, any profession, but especially the law when you're going to invest that much time and money into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, on, on the show, we define success as uh, trusting, and loving the process. And as a believer, I say God's process more than the end result, right. more than the, uh, the end result. Um, and I, you know, I, I've heard some people kind of push back on that process part some, but you know, this, it works, it works for me. And hopefully, you know, uh, <laughs> it yeah. helps, hopefully it works for other people, but, um, how do you, how do you define success? I define success as happiness, which is living the best version of yourself. Yeah. Um, because to me, and I'm sure you obviously have figured this out, success to me is not the nice car, is not the, you know, awards, is not the, you know, accolades or, you know, 2.5 kids and pick a fence. That's not what success is. <laughs> right. Um, I think being happy with yourself is really the ultimate success and really what yeah. success should be founded on. I 
feel like. Yeah, yeah, because happiness is different for everybody. It's not like this mm-hmm. universal, you know, one one, you know, it's like the American dream is just like an, an idea, is like a, a, bar- right. a barometer, but it's not necessarily right. indicative of success, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Or that any, everybody can achieve the American dream right. equally. Like, right. you know, that's right. a whole other issue. Right, oh, and who and who determined what the American dream was? You know, you know that's like right. that's like a whole nother conversation. Like what the original I know, I know. intent of the American dream <laughs> no. was, was like everybody could like have an opportunity to, you know, have success based off of their ability was like the original intent but we you know that that'll take another 45 minutes so you know you I have that book right here <laughs> Dear White America where they talk he talks about that I was like oh my god I'd never thought about that yeah, that way before but right. you know it's absolutely true, absolutely true. <laughs> we have to have you come back for that one um <sighs> yeah definitely what, what is one common myth you about your profession or feel you wanted to debunk um that people don't care about their clients okay. and only care about money um, because yes, again, there are plenty of people in the profession that only care about the money for themselves. Um, yeah. but there are those of us that genuinely care about helping people. Yeah. Um, and you really, you might have to look a little bit, but there are those of us out there. So really do yourself a service and, and have a better experience with a lawyer by finding those people that genuinely care about their clients and the outcome for them. Love that. Great advice. Um, what makes, what makes Catherine Burmeister feel inspired or feel like her best self today? Oh, overcoming what I have, um, that, that makes me feel inspired. Yeah. It, it puts so many things in perspective about what really, again, what really matters at the end of the day yeah. and whether, you know, what's the worst that can happen. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that I don't have my down days. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, feel sad or frustrated about my situation that I'm experiencing at that moment, knowing full well, there's plenty of people that have it worse, yeah. but knowing what I've done for myself and overcome and knowing the dark places that I've come out of. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. That inspires me and it inspires me to help other people too, yeah. because I think that's who I am generally, but also, you know, if I can help people avoid feeling what I felt or at least as often, yeah. or, you know, right. the extent that that's really what motivates me yeah. and, and inspired. I love that. I love that. And I know you, we mentioned spirituality earlier. How does, uh, how does your spirituality, you know, influence, like, let's say like your entrepreneurial path, you know, let's say writing the book, investing your time and talent in public speaking, like how, how, if, if, if at all, you know, how does spirituality kind of influence those things, those decisions? Yeah, I think, um, just the idea of being connected with other people. Um, you know, I, I think, I'm always fascinated about how things work together, right? Like I, you know, the, the evaporation over the desert leads all these sed, you know, sediments and uh, nutrients to the rainforest right. and like how interconnected we really can be, even though we're so far apart. So yes, there's how many people on this planet now, Yeah. but we all have common experiences yeah. and we can learn from each other. So, you know, really just tapping into that and, um, and making that a part of, of what I do. So giving back to others, helping others is a really big part of it. And, and feeling like I have had so much and I've been so fortunate. Right. I should give back, right? Yeah. I want to, yeah. but I should, because I've been so fortunate in, uh, in my life. And I think everybody should give back to the extent that they can, but most especially when they've had a lot of fortune come their yeah, way. For sure, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. what, what, any big audacious, crazy goals you hope to accomplish by the end of 2021? oh I don't do it by year I don't know I'm really weird like I love because if I set the goals but I don't accomplish it it still kind of bothers me as that check box checker in me um I I want to 
I want to get on, well, I don't know if this will happen with COVID, but in a perfect world, like a big stage um, for speaking to people. So whatever that stage literally or not um, manifests itself as, that's what I want to be able to do. And I think at a minimum recouping my costs for my book, and it's not because of the money aspect, but just that's some sort of barometer, like you said earlier, of measurement. Yeah. If I can sell that number of books, I'm a happy camper. I got you. So yeah. just good. make it back, yeah. make it back even. That's right. <laughs> yep, exactly. And anything else is gravy, yeah. right? Yeah. But I genuinely think people will benefit from the book yeah. and hearing an exact story. You know, it's it's kind of that middle ground between self-help from professionals and and you know just a memoir it's like a little mix of the two gotcha so. yeah for sure um and i, I think you mentioned that, that you uh did you share where our guests can you know connect with you and learn more about you that you should yeah. okay did you want to share that i, I can't yeah. but i'll spell it because my name is unique okay. so katherine k-a-t-h-r-y-n f is in frank burmeister b is in boy you are m is in mike e-i-s-t-e-r.com love it Love it. And the last question I have for you is a question about limitless belief. Uh, tell me, yeah. tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. <laughs> oh wow, wow. Um, oh, that's a hard one. Yeah, it is kind of so hard. many perspectives on things. Um, uh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I'll say it. I, th- I think everybody should be vegetarian. Okay. Um, I think from an environmental, I mean, should, right? Yeah. From an environmental perspective, from a health perspective, from, uh, you know, animal uh, rights perspective, yeah. I think that would be ideal. Right. Realistically, I, I don't think that obviously is going to be successful, yeah. but um, I think every little step can help you because of how, how multifaceted that whole issue is. I literally wrote a paper in law school about it, yeah. um, mislabeling animal products, but how the impact of the environment, health issues for people. And then the other part of it, if people care about the animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's plenty of reasons to, to cut some of the meat out. Cut the, so. cut the fat. <laughs> cut the fat. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, uh, Catherine, yeah. is, is there anything I should have asked you, but didn't anything that you maybe want to share, anything you would like to say to the audience that maybe you wanted to share? <sighs> Um, don't, don't stand in your way. Yeah. Don't stand in your way. Um, and you truly can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're gonna be able to be an astronaut when you're 70 years old. That's not what I'm saying, right. but I am saying that you're going to be able to change your perspective and, and help yourself. And it may not feel like you can, but you absolutely have the power within you to do it. Um, so don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for joining me on the Limitless Belief Podcast. And I'm sure many people, you know, are going to be blessed by this episode. And you know, I just want to say to everyone listening, you know, thank you for investing some time with Catherine and myself today, this week. And uh, until next time, everyone, be limitless. Peace. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. For more episodes just like this one, be sure to subscribe to Limitless Belief wherever you get your podcast. And remember, knowing means nothing until you apply it. So get going, get growing, and I'll see you on the other side of Limitless.